Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18-plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. All right. Today we are joined with our uh, mental health counselor, Joellen. Joellen, thanks for being here. Hey, it's great to be here. So Joellen, we stretch you in a lot of different ways here at Pride Institute. I feel like of all the people who are here the most, it's you've got to be up there as number one, uh-huh. if not number two. But one of the many things that Joellen does for us um, is she runs uh, our Kindred Family Program. And so Joellen, I wonder if you would, wouldn't mind telling our listeners a little bit about what that entails. Well, part of when I arrived here two years ago, um, the Kindred program had gone through some transition, and so I felt very excited to be able to be part of it. Clients have support systems out there that sometimes get lost when people are in substance use. And so to be able to invite whoever they see as their family, their kindred, to come in to meet, we do a one to two day workshop. Um, COVID has impacted that a little bit, so it's one day now. But it's to bring them together on how they can move forward. What is that going to look like? Um, I don't wear a judge's wardrobe for um, purpose because everybody seems to think that a kindred program and getting families together is you do family therapy. And everybody gets to talk about what everybody did right, what everybody did wrong, how they should have been good or in the path. And Kindred and ours is about how do we get the mind to work more effectively for them to communicate so that they can go past some of those really horrific events that are there. You know, worried that their loved one's going to be dead, Mm -hmm. worried that their loved one is not going to survive this. And then the loved one trying to figure out who can I call on? Um, Will they ever trust me again? The Kindred's about how we get through with rapid resolution and being able to get the minds to actually solve some things so they can be there for each other. And we never know what that's going to look like because I certainly don't have a crystal ball and I certainly don't have a time machine and nobody's produced one for me. Mm -hmm. So families, how do they get to the present time zone to be able to have real conversations and it not be just holding court for what everybody did wrong in the past mm-hmm. and what may be in the future. That's really interesting. So when you talk about rapid resolution, I wonder if you can expand on what that means. Rapid resolution was a therapy style I was trained in nine years ago. Um, I was in Florida and had just started a private practice and Dr. John Conley developed it and he was my trainer. He trains everybody directly. You can't buy a book, read it, and think you know what you're doing. So I got trained with him, and I've been using that in my private practice in Florida and now here at Pride. Um, I was the first one, I guess, in Minnesota to be actually claiming it. Ooh, you heard it here first, everyone. (laughs) And so um, we've got a couple more people trained now in Minnesota, but some of them aren't ready to do private practice. But rapid resolution is... It's a data processing problem that people have. We are trained as mental health therapists, but we believe that the mind has too much data to process. And that's what's causing everybody all these high levels of emotional reactions. Because emotions are supposed to last 20 seconds for us to take an action. 
And unfortunately, humans are the only animals that sit and talk about their feelings for centuries and never solve it. So rapid resolution brings the mind, and we believe the mind is different than who I am as a person. Our behavior can come out of the environment. I'm just responding to data, which isn't necessarily who I am. Mm -hmm. So part of it in rapid resolution, we're mechanics. I'm not a talk therapist. I'm a mechanic. I am supposed to know how to fix what you bring to me. Wow. Especially if you're going to pay me. <laughs> you, should, you should get some guarantees in the work. That is so interesting to me because I feel like I'm somebody where, to your point, like talk therapy isn't necessarily my forte because I feel like I can talk about my feelings till the day is, yeah, but it would be really useful for someone like me who needs like skill, skills-based therapy of like, okay, next time this happens, try to do this or try to do that. What action are you going to take? Right. Yeah. Being able to decipher what's the emotion. We now as humans have all those cute little pictures that you get to identify your emotion. Mm -hmm. There's only a few emotions for, we're part of the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. There's only a few emotions. There is no bear anywhere in the woods leaning against a fence feeling resentment. <laughs> wow. They've already torn the person probably apart. <laughs> so, so in rapid resolution, we realize we are part of that whole animal instinct and different things, but we've become sophisticated. So part of rapid resolution is how to break the mind down to be able to process your own events more effectively for what you want. And it's very powerful, but it is hard, especially in the recovery community, because we're so programmed into guilt and shame, and we have to be gooder, and we have to do all these different things to, to get to where we want to go. We live in the past, which we have no power over anymore. Mm -hmm. we, live in the, we worry about the future. Anxiety now for even two-year-olds is out of control, because we have them worried about the future, being good enough for the future. Are you going to be successful? Are you going to have a relapse? Are you going? And so part of in rapid resolution, which is helpful in families and at Kindred, is getting their minds kind of thinking about things a little differently. Shake it up, be able to go, gee, what did that mean to you when your loved one's back in treatment? And this is their third or fourth time. What does that mean to you as the parent? And getting people to really get to meaning so then they can express it instead of we, we're really good at saying, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be mad at me anymore for what I did 10 years ago. Um, all those things keep people apart. And Kindred's about bringing them together in the intimate moment that's going on in the workshop. Um, so we cover a lot of areas based on what the needs are of the people who come. Because it seems to be, I've gotten really lucky that everybody who seems to sign up for that particular Saturday, we, we meet the first Saturday of each month right now. Hopefully that will expand as COVID rules kind of change. And the part that's cool is that it seems like everybody who signs up seems to have the same issues. Oh, yeah. Like, it makes it easier for me. What are some of those examples? Um, well, I just did one um, recently that it was about couples how they wanted to communicate better because they were always angry with each other. Well, both couples had those same issues. So then we could be much more intense instead of if everybody had something different. A lot of times with families, it's about um, why, how do we not be enablers? How do we break out of all the, the programming words that we've, we've given in treatment? 
um, you're codependent, you have to put boundaries up. So we kind of break that down and what that could realistically look like. Because if you say, well, we're ju we just want to communicate better, Joellen, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're going to sing kumbaya songs near, you know, and hold hands. Is that what you mean? Or is it how do you get to resolution? So there's a lot of different kind of things that happen at Kindred, and each one has been different. Mm -hmm. And so with our population of people here at Pride, it's obviously the LGBTQ community. Do you ever run into families who, let's say, like we have a client come through our doors who's not out yet? Mm -hmm. Do you ever facil help facilitate that conversation or help? Um, I haven't had to. Mm -hmm. Usually to me, that would be something I'd want to do with the family in private instead mm -hmm. of in, um, with other people. But we certainly have had a lot of open discussions on how that impacted the family when they learned that they had an LGBTQ plus loved one. Because it isn't easy, because we're still trying to figure out so many things that we've been programmed to believe. And now this is new data, and the mind has to figure it out against everything I've already been taught or believed. But I certainly, myself coming to work at Pride, learned very quickly that the LGBTQ community, they've had to lead secret lives from birth. And how do you have your mind work well when you're already program to secrets. So part of it is how do you make sure that you have places that you can be connected to and people you can connect with that you can just have no secrets in that moment. Helps the mind. So you've mentioned a few times how this Kindred Family program has kind of taken a little bit of a different term, uh, turn now that we've, you know, had the COVID pandemic going on. Can you talk a little bit about, is it over telehealth or how is this uh, Kindred Family program looking now? What we were able to do is that we're allowed two clients to bring two family members and, you know, we, of course, distancing and masks during the workshop. And if there's a family member, a third or fourth, they can zoom in <clears throat> to the workshop. Um, technology is a challenge for me as the facilitator. So I'm always excited when they really only have two family members to come in mm -hmm. because I don't want to waste any time working on the Zoom links or the tele teletherapy mm -hmm. links. We have been doing that, though. I run other family sessions outside of Kindred, and so we've been using Zoom to have um, family sessions with our clients that are here, even if they can't be in person. So that's been really helpful that we've overcome the, you know, we can't get together mm -hmm. and solve some family issues, but we can. Mm -hmm. So we've really put some time in there. Awesome. And do you feel like the level of connection is the same via, you know, the, the internet? Or do you feel like it's a little bit kind of off-putting? You have to work harder to get people comfortable? It's kind of interesting. And maybe it's because it's rapid resolution therapy mm -hmm. that I do even in those. So it, even the direction, it's not just everybody talking to each other about their feelings. You know, we make a lot of movement in getting people to identify, like, what does it mean to you that your your parents are in treatment? What has that journey been? Um, so it really seems to be still as connecting as if you're in person. But certainly, um, when they're in person, you can see everybody's energy in the room. And we have had several family sessions where we were able to bring to family members and at a time and, and do that in person. Um, but there's a little bit of difference, but it's mostly with kids. 
yeah. you know, working with their parents, that they're, they're not as intimidated by, you know, the electronic piece. Mm -hmm. But actually, we're the ones intimidated. <laughs> they do just fine and yeah. tell you what you should be pushing and doing differently. <laughs> so, so we're probably at the disadvantage. So I want to take a step back because I'm still fascinated at what you said about how we're the only species that hangs on to an emotion for more than 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that's really powerful. And as someone who hangs on to emotions for far too long, <laughs> I can admit, like a normal human, how, what are people's response when you tell them that? Um, they think I'm an idiot uh -huh. um, when I say, how long do you think your emotions should last? And we kind of look at it that because our mind, 98% of our mind is very primitive. It's supposed to watch out for our security. It's supposed to be in charge of our body, our body chemistry, and emotional messages. If you picture a zebra in Africa, and these are some of my little characters, but zebra in Africa, if they sense a lion, there is a lion. Mm -hmm. They immediately feel fear. They immediately have a chemical release of adrenaline, and they're gone. Happens instantly because they have 100% of that primitive mind. Well, now picture us, okay? Let's say we see something that we think might be a danger. We're wondering, okay, how fast is it going to run? I wonder if that, that line was the one from last week. Because we got this 2% upgrade, which we actually call our snowflake, <laughs> that is in charge of my meaning book and in charge of my toolbox. So now we've got a two-part system running where zebras have it, have it easy. They don't have to consult before they take an action happens instantly. Mama grizzly bear eating berries with her cub. Guess what? Some person comes and starts um, hitting her cub. She's not going to do anything except feel anger, rage. Adrenaline kicks in and she bites very hard. But she's not, after the event, the emotion had only one purpose and that was to take an action. That's its only purpose, to take an action. So, and once the action's taken, the emotion's gone. But in humans, we've got this meaning book going. I'm resentful that this person keeps, you know, not texting me back soon enough. They mm -hmm. must not love me. They must not care about me. Oh, my goodness. How am I going to make it through treatment? I've been to treatment before. What's going to be different this time? And emotions say take an action. But sometimes humans have a hard time in what action to take because now we're sophisticated. Two-year-olds. Somebody steals their Cheerios, they bite them. Now they're kicked out at two, and their parents are shamed for not raising them right. Mm -hmm. They were just protecting their food. That was an instinct. But now we're supposed to be so good, we put lots of pressure now on our young people and everybody, even in treatments. You have to be good. You have to, it's better to be good than bad. And if you're in substance use, you're bad. And so all those emotions never get in action. So Part of it in rapid resolution is to know this, oh, I just got an emotional message. What action comes to mind? But now 2% of my mind is in charge of my action. Think about when, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night, sleeping really good and you wonder why you woke up? Well, 98% of your mind never sleeps. Ugh, that explains like, so much. <laughs> security. Now 2% sleeps because that part of the brain gets to travel to the past, present, and future. So anyways, so you wake up, but guess what? He has to wake up that conscious mind, the snowflake part of the brain, because mm -hmm. now she gets to take the action. We're going to get up and go look around at what the sound was. So now you've got some glitches. <sighs> A one-part system... I kind of like being in charge and doing it all myself. But now I have a team of 40 people to work with. 
ah, mm -hmm. takes more energy. Got to take everybody's views. So when emotions aren't resolved, it's because there was no action in the actual event. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say you, you decide, oh, I'm not going to go check out the sound. I'm just going to go back to sleep. Well, if part of my brain still thinks there's a danger, he'll keep bugging you. Tell, okay, let's get out of bed. Let's go see what that sound is. So sometimes those two systems don't work well together. And that's what we think creates a lot of the mental health issues now. Because we just have all this going without any actions or resolution to events. So they stack up. How many of you have things that are unresolved from the first love you had that mm -hmm. still affect 20 years later who you see now? Because humans don't resolve anything. They just stack it up and it shows up later. That's so interesting because for me, I always lived by the motto of like, people can't heal until they feel heard. And now I'm realizing that that's just a small, small, tiny fraction and that really the responsibility lies within yourself to act for yourself. For sure. Rapid resolution, the main concept is I can be okay no matter what's going on around me because that's just my mind processing the data. So my goal always working with people is about how do I get you to be okay that no matter what anybody says or does or triggers you or whatever, that you can still be okay as your mind is processing the data for your benefit and so that you can be more effective. So it changes everything that's out there. You've been programmed, oh, don't slam doors, you might trigger somebody. You have to behave a certain way so somebody's okay. And unfortunately, it just means everybody's walking on eggshells and we've lost the intimacy and the connections that we're supposed to have because we are supposed to be part of a herd. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be on our own. And so with, on, that, on that topic, I think, you know, that's very prevalent in today's society because as we talk about things like political correctness and like pronoun usage mm -hmm. and things like that, which are actually really matter a lot, mm -hmm. how do we navigate all of these different things? Well, one is, step one in rapid resolution is I, I'm free to say what I want and behave how I want in the moment. If I see you have a reaction to something I've done, then I just ask you. What did it mean to you when I used the wrong pronoun? And then I let the person tell me, I don't think you care about me. Then I'm free to go, wow, I keep my focus on the other person. I didn't have that experience, they did. So then I can ask them, is there anything I have done that says I do care about you? And then they can tell me that. And then I usually say, hey, so put that next to my name. And sometimes I say, is there anything I can do that shows I care about you? I had one person at Pride after I called him the wrong name and I saw the expression. I said, I could have said, oh, I'm sorry. I knew I have 40 people. You know, I didn't, it wasn't about me. They had the experience. Mm -hmm. They had the emotion. So I just asked him, what could I do to show that I do care about you? Yeah. That was after he said, I thought we had kind of a good connection, Joelle. And then when you called me the wrong name, I was doubting that. Wow. And then he made it easy. He said, just bring me a card. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to make his bed throw <laughs> do the dishes or something here. Right? Uh -huh. So rapid resolution has you ask the person. You don't write their script. We don't pay attention to, oh, look at their body language. Oh, they must be upset. We, I, we can't do that anymore. There's too much data coming in from so many people. We have to be able to connect individually with that person and go, I saw there was a reaction. Mm -hmm. What did it mean to you? I really want to know. 
And then people are free then to go, hey, right, wrong, good or bad, I'm hurt or I'm angry. The threat is, is that I don't think you valued me. I think you walked right by me and ignored me. Well, is there anything I could do that says I do care about you? And then it changes the conversation. But it's new language, as I'm learning here in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you mean? And that, and that pride. Because uh, you know, we have a very intelligent community here, and they're like, this is too easy, Joellen. Ask the person? No, I want to talk to 10 other people about what I think they experienced. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. sounds, sounds exhausting. How do you even begin to unpack people, you know, how people have been trained to react to things in the past, because as you said, since we are, you know, two years old, we're trained to do things one way. How do you even begin to, uh, you know, reteach that process? Well, part of it, um, in my private practice, I always work with people individually, mm -hmm. um, because everybody's mind is processing differently, different events. I don't know if you've ever been with your family and you go, that's not what happened and everybody's trying to remember what happened because everybody experienced or had a view. So here at Pride, um, I start out with what I call the intro to zebras and snowflakes, which of course, very intelligent people go, oh, did she, is she really a staff person? <laughs> <laughs> or is she one of the, you know, somebody who's from the mental health hospital next door? Uh -huh. So, but it starts with just ha encouraging people to challenge how their mind has been processing. That's always step one. The minute I get kicked back in my workshops, I love it because it says something's telling their mind that, wait a minute, no, that doesn't fit into the boxes. So part of it is just starting the conversation. Um, it's challenging, and, and once something works, once I'm a really good mechanic, like that trauma, you can remember it, but you're no longer living it. There's a power in that, and you see it in their faces, that there's something different. And, and then they build on that, and then they start watching other people, and they watch people suffer, and they go, it doesn't have to be that way. Then they start challenging their own mind. So it's just challenging the computer brain. I'm just upgrading the hard drive on the computer brain. Because you know, sometimes we have programs running that are useless. I mean, I'm going to be 65. It's not good for me to be kicking for the cookie at age, that I used to do at age two. Mm -hmm. But it's still in there. My toolbox still has kicking in it. Because mm -hmm. our toolbox is never empty. We, just, we can add more, but your mind has to actually experience it. Because it's not... We have so many things that you write down in a notebook and then what, how to handle anger. Is your notebook going to be with you when that person cuts you off in traffic? Mm -hmm. Oh, let me go find my book on page five. <laughs> so our toolbox is something that's worked one time according to my mind. People have to go to more than one anger management classes because they never experienced what they were taught in a real situation for their mind to say, oh, it works and it goes into the toolbox as one of my actions. So it's really important in rapid resolution that I let people experience it. They have to experience that it works and then it's in the toolbox forever. And it will upload to this computer brain when it's needed. And that's the part that's exciting. So always the first step is how do I get somebody to experience something different in a weird way? Um, rapid resolution, what we do in our processes um, and what tools we use are very bizarre to people. Mm -hmm. Like one of mine is stop putting your pants on. 
you can imagine here at Pride, I had been here a month and I said, today my goal and my intention is, is to have you all stop putting your pants on. You can imagine the reason <laughs> we got here at Pride. But it's, it's about how to get the mind to quit reliving the past because it doesn't really exist. You can't do anything about it. But you can keep the meanings. I mean, people have lots of meanings to their traumas and their past events, but they don't have to change the meaning. But to keep reliving them means they can't find joy and happiness, which is only in the present time zone. Then you can relive it. But most people suffer from depression, anxiety, PTSD here. And then most humans, that's what they'll say. I have anxiety, depression, PTSD, which means you never live in the present, which means you won't find that joy and happiness because you have to be there. So rapid resolutions gain the mind to the present and lower the data processing so you can actually sort it and, and, and be effective. So what I really like about that concept is, you know, everyone always tells you, you know, don't be an animal. And what you're saying is, no, be that animal, be the zebra, mm -hmm. uh, and protect yourself and put yourself first. And in today's society, I think we oftentimes forget that we are still number one. And by putting other people first, we're just teaching them that we come second. Well, it's 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 about the pro program of you have to, it's better to be good than bad, right than mm -hmm. wrong. Um, I call it the moral box. Humans really want to be connected to people and, and have good things happen. I don't know any humans, even ones that I work with in prison, that they really, that's their instinct, is to want good things to happen for themselves and for their families, even if they've behaved in horrific ways that make them unsafe. But part of it is there's five things that our mind, zebra, that part of the mind is supposed to take care of, not to be eaten by a predator to have food, water, shelter, to have herd members, to make sure there are zebras in the future, and also play. Every human wants those things in their life, and 98% of our brain is to make sure those things happen. So part of 2% changes the meaning of what does food, water, shelter look like? What is a predator? Um, who do I want in my herd? And we believe in what we call mutual benefit. We don't believe in boundaries. We believe in, hey, you want me to help you move again? I don't see a mutual benefit in it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you offer to paint my house, then we can talk. Because <laughs> it has to work for both of us. But we've been taught in relationships, compromise. Relationships are compromised. You have to learn to compromise, which means somebody's going to be angry. Somebody's going to be resentful. Because it means you keep score. Mm -hmm. Compromise says we keep score. So part of rapid resolution is how to challenge the mind from the old programming of if you put yourself first, that means you're selfish, you're self-centered. Oh my goodness. And that means you're labeled under one of those labels. Mental health labels people and our behaviors tend to follow our labels. Because think about it. Think about the last label you put on yourself. How often does it come up as a reason to not resolve something? Mm-hmm. So part of it says, how do we get the mind to get tuned up, to work effectively, so that when I want something for my journey that's a benefit, then I can talk that with other people. Um, I don't see the benefit of having you take care of this for me because I want to be independent. Oh, I see the benefit of us working this out together. I see the benefit of us having a longer conversation so we can reach somewhere. Instead, we compromise, and then somebody's sitting there, and they're upset that they didn't get their way. 
I think there's ways for everybody to have benefits in relationships and treatment, in what they want to do as a career. And the other thing in rapid resolution is, where's your life? I always ask clients here, what it, where's your life? If your life is going to be recovery, then you're going to be a person who stays and goes through all the leadership and you end up being someone who really brings people to recovery. And that might be the most exciting thing and you love every minute. That's great. But if recovery doesn't have a life to it that you enjoy, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life working on something I'm not supposed to do. I want my life, and so that no longer is a benefit to it. So rapid resolution, we really want people to find their life and what fits them, because then you're happier. <laughs> um, you tend to make decisions that are a benefit, but we have a lot of people that have been programmed in how their life should look, from parents, teachers, society. Yeah, it's time to break up, you know? Joellen, we are so lucky to have you here. Um, on a podcast note, I'm so excited to listen because you have one of those soothing therapist voices. And I'm just, I, I feel like I'm so much calmer every time I talk to you. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. No problem. And um, my view is when I came here, Pride is a magical place. And the people who are here, it's, it's so magical. So um, I love being here. Oh, well, we love having you. Thank you. Pride is magical and to be more like zebras. I think those are our takeaways from today. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Joellen. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices. For more information about our services, please call 952-522-5683, visit pride-institute.com, or follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. We'll see you next time.